There are fewer than 30 men in the world qualified to drive Formula One. A mere half dozen, perhaps, to win. At this moment, I'm inclined to think you're not one of them. Welcome to F1Weekly.com. My name is Clark Rogers. I'm the host of the program. I'll be joined by Nasser Hamid, my co-host. This is podcast number 979, February 13th, 2023, Nasser. Thank you, sir. I say, oh dear, T-20 to the start of the 2023 Grand Prix season and T-21 to the 1000 podcast of F1 Weekly. And we have a Montoya in the palatial studios today. We shall explain gladly. Back to you, Chief. Thank you, Nasser. On today's program, Red Bull Honda negotiations got too complicated. FIA president to step back from F1 daily operations? The big question is here, how did Ford squeeze out championship-winning Honda? And Fernando says he knows what to do. And this week's bonus is an inter-special interview, and that's with Federico Montoya. And Nas will gladly explain, and of course I have to remind everybody that we need your contributions to keep this program on the air, just click on the Support F1 Weekly tab. You know, you'll want to. And I want to thank Mr. Hoag, who donated. Thank you very much, sir. Keep up the good work. Nass, welcome to the Palatial Studios. How are you? Thank you, sir. I am feeling like Peggy Lee. Fever. Fever with launch of new liveries and cars. Fever with preseason testing just a few days away. Fever all through the season, hopefully. What a lovely way to burn, Mr. Rogers. And how is the host simmering on the left coast? The left coast is beautiful. It's almost springtime, but we know it's not. But of course, I live in California, the most beautiful place in the world. But no, glorious. And of course, 20 days from today's recording where we're at Bahrain, and we'll see Fernando Alonso put the Aston Martin on pole. I am pumped, Nasser. I am sure you are, and I know he will. He will do a Grand Slam lead every lap, and then he's going to take the checkered flag, and by that time, it's going to be like uh, 7 o'clock in the morning in California, and Mrs. Rogers will say, Clark, wake up. I've got some coffee for you. Bravo, grazie, mille grazie. And that's when the reality will sink in. But I hope your dream comes true one day, and Monday it will come true. Let's just hope machismo does not run out of time. But sir, you mentioned the president of FIA, so let's start from the top. As as we all know, Kaka rolls downhill, 
the president of FIA, Mohammed bin Sulayem, been there, done that. After taking heat from all corners of the world, he is now stepping back to go forward, and we wish him well. The FIA has put together a new structure as to who will be the face and mouthpiece of FIA as far as Formula One is concerned. And when you're dealing with people like Toto Wolff and Christian Honor and many other sharks and barracudas and in the same piranha pool, you have to be very political savvy, like Mr. Max Mosley. And Mr. President Mohammed bin Salayam said, and I quote, We have dedicated a lot of time and effort to making a significant informed changes to our Formula One team to create the right structure with the right people to oversee the future regulation of the sport, end quote. I say what we have here is a failure to please everybody. FIA will now implement a new overall structure with ex-Ferrari man Nicholas Tombasis, who has been in charge of FIA's Formula One technical team since 2018. He will now be single-seater director. Another veteran of motorsports, uh, Steve Nielsen, will join the FIA as sporting director, responsible for overseeing all sporting matters, including the ongoing development of race control and the remote operation centers, as well as future updates to the sporting regulations. So in future, if something happens on the final lap of the final Grand Prix of the season, then Steve Nielsen will be the chap calling Toto and saying, Toto, it's called a motor race. And let's just hope history doesn't repeat itself this way. Long story short is very simple. Freedom of speech is fundamental right of every human being. But in this day and age, one has to be careful for the consequences of what you mouth off. Just ask Jimmy the Greek or PK the Brazilian. Mr. Rogers, you're not shy mouthing off. What say you? The problem is the FIA president, he was a little rough, practically issuing a gag order on the drivers and everybody's going, what? But we're people too. We're sensitive. So it, it's hilarious. And doing that, hopefully we're not going to see the t-shirts of the past, if you know what I'm talking about. And underwear outside the pants, thank you very much. It was completely out of control. So I'm sort of glad they've done this. We'll see what happens. I was hoping that they would call Google and get AI to oversee this completely, artificially. You see what I'm saying? That way it'll be logical. And they could use like the face of Mr. Spock. Well, they can also go for fake intelligence. That's what we have now. Oh, the real, reality today is fake intelligence? That's good. That's, the, that's, the, that's going to be the new buzzword in the near future is fake intelligence. There you go. Okay, sir. Uh, now we, this was an interesting story. We are calling it Against the Wall with Van Wall. Remember Chowski, the guy from uh, Force India or whatever it was, Midland? Yeah, one of my, one of my buddies. Uh, he liked to fly a lot. Yeah, his uh, his real name is Colin Collis, dentist from Dracula country, because, you know, he's based in Germany, but he's originally from Romania. He was planning to run a team in this year's WEC, 
World Endurance Championship with the Venwall brand name. But a British company by the name of Sanderson International Market said, not so fast. We have the right to the name. Remember Lotus ran into the same problem? Many times. Then came the lawyers and Chavsky was advised, here's a dime, call your car some other name. They were planning to race at Sebring next month with Jack Wienlove as one of the drivers. Wonder what name they will use if they show up. He's based in Germany, so I have an idea for him. I think the brand name Traban is available and they will let him use their name very gladly. Any comments on this situation, sir? Well, I think that's ideal. And what's in a name? Van Wall, Wall Van. Trabant. Be clever. Be hip. Let Rihanna come up with a name. Yes, and uh, you know the argument he was using is that uh, the company that holds this name has not used this for many years, uh, so they can use this. They should have really, maybe they did contact the company and they say, bugger off. And that company produced some documents that they have done a trade or two and was able to keep their name. So, you know, as Mr. Paul Lehman used to say, lawyers have to eat also. And sir, on a personal note, over the weekend I took another drive to Miami Homestead for a Scusa Winter Tour Finals. Uh, these are very, um, you know, in the world of karting, very famous karting series and I've heard about them. But this was the first time I drove down there this season. And this was my um, second trip uh, to this event uh, this year. Uh, very pleased to say homie kid from Dallas, Pasha Ali. We interviewed him a few weeks ago. He finished on the podium after starting 11th, so that made the trip worth it. I also had the chance to record a conversation with Antonio Pizzonia, the ex-Williams F1 driver. His son is also racing in the U.S. karting scene, and we will play his interview in the next few weeks. And we are hoping to put a lot of interviews this season in the goodie bag. Next month, we have Sebring 1000 World Endurance Championship race, plus the Sebring 12 hours and the opening round of the IndyCar season in Northern FLA. So this will give me opportunity to load up on our uh, lots of interviews, hopefully. And as I have mentioned to you, I reached out to the Toyota team in Europe and they have Sebastian Buemi, uh, Kamui Kobayashi, and the man from Michelin, Pascal Vesselon. And I've put in a request, and they have responded. So hopefully this will work out. And now I just need to take a day off on Wednesday, uh, which is uh, the race is on Friday for WEC. And the Sebring 12 hours is on Saturday, as always. So we'll see uh, how uh, it will work out. Sir... I am, since you're a music man and you speak Spanish fluently, I am sure you know the famous song, Tres Palabres. Tres Palabres, indeed. One of your favorites, right? Okay, the three famous words I know are, three weeks, Bahrain. Remember Bar Honda head on the sideboards, look left, look right. Today we're going to look ahead to the 2023 Formula One Grand Prix saison. Shall I proceed with your express written consent, please? Pedro just sent a text. And speaking of Pedro, I'm sure you watched the Aston Martin launch today. Of course. And guess who was there? With Fernando, Pedro de la Rosa. 
el machismo. Yes, both were texting on Telefonica. Let's see if uh, Red Bull finds some white powder in the garage uh, opening day of uh, practice in Bahrain. History will repeat itself. Anyway, so sir, if all cars were equal, I think numero uno on paper and track will still be Max Verstappen. Just a personal opinion. This is based on his talent, aggressive driving style, and take-no-prisoner attitude, which includes releasing a nice little Dutch bird in the face of his own teammate more than once. But we all know cars are more, some cars are more equal than others. Given the package Max has, which has produced 25 Grand Prix wins in just the last two years, which is also the grand total of Grand Prix wins for the great Jim Clark throughout his career, the fact that Adrian Newey is still there and they have a much improved GP2 engine, I think Max will go three in a row in 2023. Here he is talking to Lawrence Barreto about the penalty of exceeding the budget cap for Red Bull. For sure it's not making it easier, but I think we have a lot of good people back at the factory who can, uh, who can manage that and um, yeah, we just have to be a little bit more like, smarter with our time available, but I, I would always take this over finishing second or third anyway, you know, so uh, yeah, we just keep on pushing. There are only four other drivers who have won three or more championships in a row. Juan Manuel Fangio won four in a row in the 1950s. Then came the Red Baron, Michael Schumacher, flying to five successive championship wins for a total of seven. His homeboy, compadre Sebastian Vettel, went ring-ding-ding and unbeaten from 2010 to 2013. And then we have the driver who has more Grand Prix wins and same number of championships as Michael Schumacher. The name is Lewis Carl Hamilton also known as LCH, on the F1 Weekly podcast. If Max gets his third successive championship, he will be 26 years old, and that is quite a Dutch treat for his fans and a real triple threat for the competition. Sir, who's your number one pick for the championship? Apart from Alonso, I'm sorry. Exactly. Alonso first. But, you know, even Max and Christian Horner, they're both very careful not to forget your little buddy, George Russell. Well, I was asking for your uh, pick, not Christian Horner's pick. Ah, well, in that case, it's definitely going to be Max Verstappen all over the nation. I'm telling you, he, he's going to dominate so bad that LCH is thinking, you know about the pro bowling tour. There's a lot of things out there other than Formula One, Nasser. Oh, you know, I finally realized who Lady Luck is. Must be Kelly Piquet. She's pretty cute and knows a lot of, a lot of sneaky stuff. No kidding. Yes. Okay, we're going to move on to Charles Leclerc. Two wins from the first three for the Ferrari Ace and two DNFs for Max. And so the same period last season gave the Ferrari driver over a 40-point championship lead. And when it was all over and Max took the checkered flag in the season finale in Abu Dhabi, Leclerc was second in the standings, 146 points behind Max. How he do that? But that's the way it goes. Hopes are high for 2023. There is a new sheriff in town at Scuderia Ferrari in the form of Frederick Wesser, 
the last time the Italian team had a French head honcho, we all know what happened. We have a little audio clip of Frederick Vasseur speaking at his first press conference as Ferrari head honcho about the mood in Maranello. Very positive. I think that everybody is uh, very focused, very committed, that we know that it's a... Uh, it's uh, all the new season. It's the same story that we are. We can't wait for the launch of the car and the first test. That we know also perfectly that between the launch, the first test and race one, it will be very compressed this season, and uh, we have to be ready from day one. And um, but the mood is positive, the energy is there, and uh, we are all very focused. In Charles Leclerc, Frederick has a driver he has worked with before, and I think if anybody is going to derail. Max's bullet train, it will be man from Monaco. Now we come to third favorite for the title. If Mercedes zero sidepart package gives zero purposing and headaches and they can regain their motorsport mojo, I think Sling and Silver Arrows will be heading towards Max. GR has done at Mercedes what JB did at McLaren. Win a race before you know who which is absolutely very, very impressive. Based on performance last year, plus previous history of George Russell completely destroying the talent that was Lando Norris in Formula 2, one has to give advantage to George over LCH for the 2023 season. His day of days came last year when he scored his first Grand Prix win in Brazil, and he here he is after that historic victory for Mercedes and himself. But how did it feel up on that podium today? Incredibly emotional, I think. It's been such a journey that, you know, my whole family and I have been on since the beginning. And then since getting to Formula One, the journey uh, I've been on with Williams, um, the struggles, the highs, the lows there, joining Mercedes, the struggles we had at the start of the season, the recent races for me personally had been challenging and I had a bit of a reset sort of mentally going into Mexico and to get through that race, you know, having Lewis there versus the last 12 laps, you know, when you look at your mirrors and you see, you see Lewis Hamilton there, I knew, I just knew how fast he was and I was driving um, the race of my life, so I knew this was a victory uh, to be taken and uh, I'm so happy to have crossed that line and so proud of the whole team that worked with them this season. Right now, there is a lot of harmony and lovey-dovey between the two. But I'm pretty sure Toto will be separating the two if they have the best package in town and it will be 2016 deja vu all over again for Mr. Wolf. I think there will be a lot of howling between his two drivers as they fight for the championship. LCH, with all his race wins and championships, certainly has the upper hand in terms of experience. Pan American Airways used to advertise with much pride, you can't beat the experience. Well, time and circumstances did that and they are no longer flying high. We will find out by Abu Dhabi if LCH is still flying high or gone the way of Pan Am and TWA, part of glorious flying history. So the question for you, sir, if Mercedes has the best package in town, Will George Russell shoot down LCH throughout the season? He would and he will. Let's not forget, LCH again is another year older. Not many people could fool 
father time. So yes, your reflexes get slower, and that's why we have young whippersnappers coming in like Norris and Piastri. But it, it, it's going to be fascinating, especially, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but Mercedes could very possibly flop and take six steps backwards where we see them fighting with not super aguri, but pretty close. Alpha, short stuff, Tory. You never know. You never know. Number four on the billboard is Carlos Sainz Jr. I have a feeling with a French-speaking boss at Ferrari, the team will become focused on one driver to win the championship. The racer he is, Frederick, will fall in the camp of the faster driver, whoever that may be. And that's not that's how normally things work out in motor racing. I have a feeling the driver speaks the same language as Monsieur Vasser. Carlos is very quick, otherwise he won't be a driver in the most successful racing team in history of Formula One. But for him to win the championship, I think a lot of things have to go his way. It's hard to believe that Max, the two Mercedes drivers, and Charles Leclerc, and Sergio Perez will all have major issues throughout the season, allowing Carlito to become the second Spanish world champion. But then again, if Scuderia Ferrari comes out with a package that is head and shoulders above the rest, maybe, you never know, maybe Carlos Sainz Jr. can put some dandruff on teammates' championship hopes. Time will tell. Mr. Rogers, would you like to tell us about the aspiration of the riders on Prancing Horse for the championship this season? I mean, Leclerc has got to be thinking... You know, this is his shot. He knew the car was good. Now they have a good, sensible, Swiss-thinking French guy. Remember the finger-pointing of Binotto to Leclerc? Well, that, that was Binotto's demise. That's when they finally all realized Binotto was not part of this team because he wagged his finger. And I'm telling you, that's... I think they had decided to get rid of Binotto that day. But on the other hand, Vassar and Leclerc are going to be dynamic and it's going to be similar to Tut and Schumacher. You know, Charles Leclerc's uh, manager is Nicolas Todd, and he has long business association in the ART team, which may no longer be the case with Frederick Vassar. I still think this is a palace coup between Nicolas Todd Charles Leclerc and Frederick Vesser to get their own guy there. And when you have all the right connections, uh, it's easy to, you know, make these things happen. But, sir, something very, very important. Now we're going to take a look at dream the impossible dream scenarios and drivers who may end up or remain in the South Pacific, drowning in a sea of love. And we shall start with our eternal favorite, Senor Machismo, also known as Fernando Alonso. Man, I got to tell you one thing. I watched that uh, Aston Martin launch. This guy has lost some serious weight. He was looking like a whippersnapper against uh, teammate Lance Troll. And he is Slim Jim. And uh, I think he means business. Uh, what kind of business? We'll find out by round five. 
For him, new team, new factory, and the team owner who loves him more than anything else apart from his own son. I think given the package he has, I can see him do a Ricardo at McLaren win a race in 2023. Winning the championship in his rookie season for Aston Martin with a customer engine, I have to borrow a phrase from Mr. Darrell Hall. Can't go for that. No can do. I mean, in all seriousness, apart from being a fan of Mr. Machismo, do you really think he can get a few wins and even come close to fighting for the championship? Of course not. But I have to have some fun, Nasser. Yes, yes. Dreams do come true once in a while. So I I, uh, do respect that in you, that you are with Machismo since, well, 2005, right? Exactly. See, I'm not jumping off the bandwagon yet. I still think there's hope, Nasser. No, if you put him in the right car, he will win races and fight for the championship. There is no question about that in my mind. And can you imagine what an achievement it would be that a guy wins a championship in 2006 and he then wins again in 2026? That's uh, that's impressive. Very, very impressive. Or even if it happens this year. Okay, sir. Now we're moving on to Sergio Perez. In the last two races of the 2022 season, it was made obvious not only to him but to the entire world as if they already did not know that as long as Max Verstappen is driving for Red Bull, the second driver will be just that. Once upon a time, Ayrton Senna pulled over on the final corner of the final lap of the Japanese Grand Prix to give his McLaren teammate Gerhard Berger his first win of the season, which was, yeah, I think he was in his second year of contract with McLaren, that is Gerhard. And once upon a time, Michael Schumacher allowed his teammate Eddie Irvine to pass him not once but twice in Malaysia to keep his championship hopes alive. Folks, this won't be happening at Red Bull. Not that I wish this, but I will not be surprised if Max gets his old teammate as his new teammate in 2024, which is the question for you, Mr. Rogers. Do you think Ricciardo will replace uh, Perez next year? Absolutely, for sure. I mean, it's pretty much, I think the ink is drying still, but... Yeah, it's a done deal. Let me put it this way. If anybody doesn't know, Dr. Marco, Christian Horner, these people are butchers. I mean, there is no... I mean, I know you see some kind of faux love, but it's faux love. It really is because these people, as soon as your expiration date is coming up, you are gone and out of there. Yes, this is a machine. There's blood on the floor, the blood on the ceiling. And that's how it works at Red Bull, damn it. They win championships, and this is how it's done. Well, that's why I call the Red Bull Academy the Red Bull Abattoir. Next, you know this kid, Liam Lawson, who's very talented. Uh, He now has done two seasons with Red Bull in Formula 2. And he's, in my opinion, he's very, very lucky that they are not chopping him off and selling him to Japan to take part in the Super Formula Series. They don't give a lot of chances to a lot of drivers but i think right now they don't have a lot of very young you know they bring people from the ages of 10 12 like they did with sebastian federal right now their uh sucking sound is not coming with winners if you know what i mean so we will see yes ross yeah and you know uh thank you and you know i mean you look at this uh kid kimi antonelli he's for toto wolf 
He won two Formula 4 championships, German and Italian, last year. If this kid was Red Bull, they would have thrown him into F3 uh, championship. And there is a guy by the name of Gwen Lagru who runs the Young Driver program. They are putting him in Formula Regional, which is what Formula Renault Euro Cup used to be. Very, very smart and sensible thing. And Zach Brown is doing the same thing with this kid uh, from New York, Ugo Ugo Chukwu. He raced in British Formula 4 and he, I believe, is repeating the series. So if you throw people from karting to F3, yeah, once in a while you'll get a Max Verstappen who will pull it off. Or like they did with Sebastian Vettel, put him in the US Grand Prix and he had the immense pleasure of meeting Clark Rogers on his Grand Prix debut and scored a point. But the Red Bull program is really, really super cutthroat. Okay, so now we come to McLaren boys. The days of wine and roses with Alain Prost, Ayrton Senna, Mika Hakkinen are long, long gone. Today they are involved in all sorts of racing series except NASCAR. Even with two very talented young drivers, I don't see them winning more than a race or two this season. Lando Norris came close to his first win at Sochi, but Russian rain ruined his day. New teammate Oscar Piastri is coming into Formula 1 after winning the Battle of Twitter against Alpine. Just like Lando Norris, the Aussie mate has a very impressive junior series career. Let's see if we can have a rerun of the McLaren saga from the 2007 season. And I watched the uh, little bit of the McLaren uh, launch also. And Oscar looked very comfortable, just my observation, that this man is ready for Formula 1. Of course, like anybody else, it will depend on how the car is. Um, what is your assessment between the rookie and Lando Norris? Well, it's going to be cage-rattling time. And Norris, he's got to show he's the dominant, he's numero uno. And right there in Bahrain, they will be fighting for that number one spot. Okay. Now we come to Alfa Romeo. Just like Istanbul was Constantinople, Alfa Romeo was BMW Sauber, and in the near future will be Audi. For this season, they have a nice-looking car and the same driver lineup from last season, which brings us to Botas and his funny bone. Listen to what he had to say at the launch. Sorry, Great. just back, nutshell the question um, that was asked. I kind of missed the... I didn't answer it properly. So basically, if the car is quick, I've basically designed it. But if it's not quick, then I had nothing to do with it. So, Okay, sir. As far as the uh, all-French connection is concerned, Alpine with Ocon and Gasly, uh, what's your take on that one? Très, très dangereux. Very dangerous. Two French guys, one team. Renault, really, let's get real. Uh, it's going to be very interesting. They're going to have fantasies about Dijon Prenois maybe but in the end I think there's going to be a lot of infighting a lot of sparks they're going to be blowing up and if there's any reliability issues because Renault has been pushing that limit uh, there's going to be explosions and crying all over the, um, the French newspaper Le Monde I think the fans and the media will have the most fun among the drivers at Alpine, and I cannot wait for the first two races at uh, MoneyGram Haas F1. 
I, and I think there will be so much fighting that one of the drivers may have to use MoneyGram services to send money to Gunter Steiner for whatever headache headaches they are creating there. What 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 do you think will happen between K Mag and the Hulk? Well, I don't know if anybody has noticed, but K Mag has a chauvinistic machismo kind of aura. He really thinks he's Mr. Tough Guy, sort of like his papa. Hulkenberg is a little bit more laid back, but he's German. He's in he's in tip top form and he has a lot of hair. And I think it's going to be a little bit tense. They've fought before. They will fight again. And I'm telling you, it's great entertainment. So we'll just embrace all of it, Nasser. Absolutely. He has his Rolodex all sorted and alphabetized. Yes, I'm just so glad his teammate is not Robert Kubica. Okay, sir. Shall we take a break for some aqua minerale? Good idea, Nasser. So we'll be back after these brief messages. Okay, I'm here with men from Lotus Country, Martin Brundle. Martin, how are you today, sir? Yeah, everything's good. It's a very exciting show and good to see so many trade stands there and so many excited motor racing fans. Uh, can you tell us briefly um, what sparked your interest in motor racing? Well, started racing when I was 12 years old in uh, grass track. Ended up uh, going through Formula 3 into Formula 1, a dozen years as a Grand Prix driver. I've now had a dozen years as uh, a TV commentator for Formula One, manage a few racing drivers, and generally enjoy myself around the world. Very good. You mentioned Formula Three, and that's when I got to know you. Uh, you and the epic battles you had with Ayrton Senna. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, please. It's extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, it's 27 years ago, 26 years ago, to be precise, uh, when we were doing that. And people still talk about that season because we had an absolute epic Ayrton won the first nine races then I came back at him we had accidents together we had wheel to wheel fire we had a fantastic season and it elevated us both into Formula 1 of course uh, Ayrton Sam was always going into Formula 1 anyway uh, you mentioned the intense rivalry uh, I don't think it became vicious uh, like Senna and Prost uh, how was your relationship with him uh, apart from the track did you guys ever go for fish and chips or beer yeah, we chit-chatted away and uh, we were both trying to make our way through life and through the world of motor racing. No, it didn't get super aggressive. It got a bit tense a couple of times because we we ran into each other at critical moments and we ended up in front of the stewards and, you know, it was sort of punch and counter punch on the racetrack and we had a, a few, you know, really tough battles. But there was always a level of respect and, and then we went into Formula 1 together. So, But it, there was never any real negativity to it. What's your most memorable moment from that season? I think when I first beat him in a straight fight at Silverstone that turned the season around and then men mentally it gave me confidence that I could beat, you know, because his reputation preceded him, to say the least. And it gave me the confidence that I could beat Senna and it he then finally knew that in the same car on the same day I could beat him as well and then I dominated the next few races he then finally knew that in the same car on the same day I could beat him as well and then I dominated the next few races both uh, went to Formula 1 in 84 he went to Tolman you went to Terrell uh, can you tell our listeners you were first I mean you scored a point on your Grand Prix debut in his country yeah. tell our listeners why the team was disqualified well it's a very long story but it was disqualified for uh, it was an interpretation of the regulations that they deemed to be illegal but Ken Tyrrell had a low budget normally aspirated car and he had a quite a cunning way that strictly speaking was inside this, the regulations but morally was probably not and they got disqualified 
your teammate was Stefan Belov. Um, you know, a lot of people miss him. So do I. Uh, t- uh, what can you tell us about him as a driver, as a person? Well, Belov would have been a Formula One winner and probably a Formula One world champion. He had speed. He was too brave, which is why he died in the end. Um, great driver, really exciting driver to watch. Um, different mould to Michael Schumacher, despite him being a German as well. He, he was a much more free spirit, uh, much less... Michael was a man driven from the head, and he had it all under control. Belov was just a crazy fast boy. Welcome back to F1Weekly.com. Clark Rogers here, your host. In now, as we spin the globe and go around the world with Motorsports Mondial and the king, the sultan himself, Nasser Hamid. Thank you, sir. Nasser, why don't you introduce our other favorite Montoya? Federico Montoya. I remember him from his racing days. And in fact, I think you were at the U.S. Grand Prix once where they were running Formula BMW races at Support Series. And he was in that series. He has raced in Europe also. But now he's working for a karting team as a driver coach. A uh, very nice kid. I had a nice chat with him. And this was done um, last month when I went to Miami Homestead. So I would like to thank uh, Federico um, for his time and wish him all the best in his new endeavor. Okay, folks, I'm here with Senor Federico Montoya. Federico, good to meet you, sir. How are you today? Good, and you? I'm doing very good. Always good on a race day. Thank you so much. I remember you from your racing days. What are your racing adventures these days? Oh, well, I stopped racing a while ago, and now I'm giving all my knowledge to the kids. I'm coaching in go-karting and also in, in cars in open wheel. When you were racing, did you ask your brother for racing tips? Always, and not only him, my dad too. He used to race, so... They were always on my back, so I got a few tips from them. You know, long before Juan started racing here, I used to hear the name Diego Montoya. That's your uncle, right? Yeah, that's my uncle. He used to race, uh, he did the 24 hours of Le Mans. So he raced it, I think it was the BMW, the M1. Oh, yeah, beautiful. Car. Yeah, so he raced. Yeah, that name was very familiar here in the U.S. Now, how popular is motorsports in uh, Colombia? Well, after my brother, everything become like, really popular. Before that, uh, it was hard because uh, people, all the companies didn't want to sponsor the kids and new talents. But now they start, they start to, to grow and, well, it's getting bigger and bigger. But, you know, our country doesn't support as much as, as the other countries. So that's, what, that's the issue with Colombia. What in terms of uh, karting facilities um, across the country? Do you have a good karting program like they do in Finland? Well, over there in Colombia, they have few new tracks. Everything starts growing. There is a few academies, but I mean, they don't have all the knowledge because the people that do it, they are drivers that didn't succeed in in racing and they didn't have the chance to come overseas to to do racing. So it's just local experience that they have. Now, recently there were reports that there may be a Formula One race in Colombia, I think like Cartagena. Any scoop on that? Uh, it will be, yeah, it's a city in Barranquilla that it's uh, like uh, like an hour away. Uh, well, it's tough to say if they're going to make it or not, 
but it will be really good for Colombia and for motorsport to, to have a, a race in the Caribbean, but there's not, it's just expectations. We don't know yet if it's going to happen or not. And who better to wave the checkered flag than Juan Pablo Montoya? Well, that will be another another good hint for the for the race, and it will be a show for for Colombia to to have my brother. Incredible talent. Okay, now when it comes to coaching young drivers, do you run into drivers who think they know everything? Most of the kids, I will say, seventy percent, they think they know everything. So it's really tough because they don't pay attention to the father. But once they have a coach, they think they know more than the coach. So it's 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 a good it's a tough situation. But uh, I already know how to work with that. So does that include slapping them? If I have to, yes. <laughs> but no, just basically with kids, it's uh, watching videos and it's a it's a, a process that takes time for them to learn. So sometimes you have to repeat two to three times or even more than that. But uh, it's a good good process for them. You know, some years ago I was talking to a team owner and one of the drivers who tested with him made it to Formula One and he said uh, the guy just would not listen. So I called his father. I don't want to take the name here, <laughs> but he's here. And the father said if he's not listening to him, just slap him. <laughs> so Well, it's not just that, but sometimes uh, kids or teenagers, they don't listen to their parents. They have... They need somebody away from from the family or close to the to them to let them know that they're making a few mistakes and you can change that. But everything happens here in, when you coach. It's either they want to learn, listen to get better. That's the only way to do it. Are there any common mistakes you see among young drivers making? Well, it's like I was saying to you. It, the driver had to make the choice if they want to succeed or not. I will give them all my knowledge, but if they don't put that in practice, it's, it's hard to, to make it. We have some rubbing going on here. Okay, you're also involved with Lucas Racing School, and it has become very popular in the series. Can you tell us about this program, please? Yeah, this program is getting uh, really popular down here in South Florida. It's a it's a school that all the cars are equal for the kids. They are not allowed to, to touch when they do the APAF. First they do the racing school, but when they do the racing series, they are not allowed to touch. Once you touch or put four wheels on the grass, you will be penalized. And I recommend this school for, for kids that they want to start on Formula cars and open wheel. It's something that is not a, as expensive as the other series, and you will learn a lot. So, How many races in this series and estimate cost to do the season? Uh, I think there are like eight weekends, and uh, it's three races per weekend. And the cost is around, I think, per weekend is like 8000 Oh, that's very reasonable yeah. for three races. And uh, are they taking place always at the same track or different places? Uh, no, not all the time. Most of the times they take place in Sebring, down here in Homestead, and sometimes they go up north, but basically it's between those two. And sometimes also in uh, Daytona, but it's hard because of the schedule, but normally they, they go to Sebring. 
speaking of tracks, you've raced uh, quite a few places. What was your favorite racing track? For me, my favorite track was, well, I went to, to Spa. But apart from Spa and, Imo- and uh, Monza, I will say Imola. Yeah, it was really nice track. Okay, I have to ask you about going into Eau Rouge and going into Aqua Minerale. How exciting are those two places? Well, there are two different kind of turns, but uh, going to Eau Rouge the first few times is like scary because you don't see anything, so it's a blind corner. And Aqua Minerale, it's really tough to, to do it, but it's it was fun to, to race there. And it, you know that track has a lot of memories, so yeah. I was at Imola, man, going into Aqua Minerale, coming up to Alta Variante. That's where I sat for the, it was the 2004. Uh, your brother was in that race, driving the Walrus Williams. Yeah. Okay, now, how long do you think young drivers should stay in karting before going into single-seaters? I mean, it's 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 a good question, because there is not a, an age that you will have to say, oh, it has to be until certain age, no. I mean, it comes to, there are some young talents, you see Verstappen, he was a young kid at 15, 16 he was already driving cars, but normally, yeah, it's between that age, between 14 and, and 16. Okay. Now, uh, your nephew, one's uh, son Sebastian, is in the Red Bull program. Uh, tell us a little bit about the background of this program and what is he up to this season? Well, the, the Red Bull program has a, a really good, uh, it's a really good program for, for teenagers and young talents. And, uh, well, they give the opportunity to Sebastian this year to, to raise the FIA Formula 3. Well, it's it's really tough program because they start with a few drivers and each year either they keep the same drivers or get new drivers. It's a good opportunity for Sebastian to, to show his talent. He's uh, being growing up and now being a, a grown-up man. So hopefully he do a really good season this year. Now he's doing the Formula Regional Middle East before the championship starts and well, hopefully he gets good results. He didn't have uh, good luck this weekend, but it is what it is in racing. Few weekends you could have bad races. Some weekends you have good races, but hope the best for him this year. Your brother had some great wins, like the Italian Grand Prix with Williams and the Michigan 500 over Michael Andretti. What won Pablo's races stand out for you? Well, I mean, for me... Even though, even though it's my brother, it amazed me all the challenges that he had and the adva- the opportunities that he got. He really took care of them, meaning that when he had the chance to to race for in a champ car, he gave all all that he had, and well, he was champion. The same thing when he went to to Formula One. I mean, he's a driver that. He's not scared of nobody, and he just go for the win. Whatever it takes for him to win, he will do it. So those races mean a lot to me. You know, I was at the um, race Indy 500 when he raced the first time. Absolutely dominated. I was unbelievable. Absolutely incredible. Now I just noticed you're wearing a very important uh, cap that says "Goat." So I have to ask you, who is the goat for you in Formula One, apart from your brother? Well, I mean, it's it's hard to say, but I mean, the goat doesn't mean like anything to me. But it's 
is something that I see that my brother is the temperament that his attitude and everything it's something like a goat that doesn't take no, no nothing from nobody so he's I, a ram <laughs> exactly so it's more or less the all the other one that I see like that it will be Kimmy some some driver that doesn't take anything from nobody now speaking of Kimmy your brother was teammate with him at McLaren has he ever shared any stories about about Kimmy well I was I was racing back then in, in Europe so I was close to him and well it was it was a tough relationship because both of them they collapsed together because the temperament that they have both of them it's it's really hard and they just go for the win now thank you so much for your time would you have a, a message for our listeners we uh, we be doing a podcast since 2005 we have listeners all over the world including your country believe it or not so anything you want to say to our listeners well i mean all the the people that are listening and they are involved in motorsport if, and also the drivers if they want to succeed they just and there is their passion just go for your dreams never stop believing in yourself and believing you can do it so that will be my message for everyone very well said gracias muchachos amigo thank you very much federico thanks for joining f1weekly.com today we have motorsports from the sands of arabia to the snow of sweden but before we get there uh, we have a segment called One is the loneliest number. Here we take a look at some races where there was only one driver who won the Grand Prix or Grand Prix races at this particular location. We shall start with the 1957 Pescara Grand Prix. It was the longest race track ever used in Formula 1 at over 15 miles. That's about a mile longer than the Nürburgring Nordschleife and ran through the streets of the Italian city which is located on the Adriatic coast not too far from Roma this was the only F1 Grand Prix ever held at this venue Juan Manuel Fangio started from pole position in his Maserati and finished second American driver Harry Shell was second also in the Maserati the race winner driving a Van Wall was Mr Motor Racing himself Sir Sterling Moss of course he was not sir in those days From Spaghetti Land we moved to Spice Land for the Indian Grand Prix. There were three editions of this race at the Bud International Circuit near the country's capital. All three races were won by Sebastian Vettel, Red Bull's original love child. After Red Bull he was no longer a supreme driver and always second best. Drivers had a lot of fun though during the Indian Grand Prix weekend like Sebastian Vettel visiting the Taj Mahal and Jensen Button driving a rickshaw on the track and there are photos available of both these things on the interweb From Spiceland we go to Cheeseland as we all know motor racing has been banned in Switzerland since the 1955 Le Mans disaster The only Formula 1 championship Swiss Grand Prix since then took place in 1982 at our favorite Dijon Prenois in France. Keke Rosberg in a Williams recorded his first Grand Prix win here, which surprisingly was his only success in his championship winning season. 
Eddie Cheever was the only American driver in this race. He retired his Ligier Matra on lap 70 of 80. Next we go to Land of the Rising Sun in the Ida circuit. Japan hosted two Grand Prix races in 1994 and 1995. Apart from Suzuka, the races were held at a circuit then called Ida in the Japanese countryside. Today the name is Okayama Circuit. Both F1 races were won by Michael Schumacher driving for Benetton, headed by one of our favorites, Signor Flavio Briatore. Now we come to Dallas Grand Prix. The organizers never invited Captain Antonil to sing, Do that to me one more time, once is never enough. But once in the heat of Texas was more than enough for all involved. When Larry Hagman is the flagman, you know you're in Texas. When cars and drivers were falling apart, the Finnish cowboy Keke Rosberg came through to give Honda their first turbo win. And the image of R. Nige pushing his Lotus to the start-finish line and collapsing is one for the ages. From one state to another, from Texas to FLA, Sebring 1959, the first and only Grand Prix held at the airport circuit, which was also the very first Formula One Grand Prix in the United States. When it was over, Bruce McLaren in a Cooper became the youngest F1 winner, and that record was broken only in 2003 at the Hungarian Grand Prix. Why, I don't know, Mr. Rogers, but the name of the driver, for some reason, I cannot remember. I think he drove a blue car, and since then he has been singing the blues. He created his own muddy waters. Perhaps Flavio can drain the swamp for this hombre. On that note, we move to Belgium, Nivelle Circuit. Located near Brussels, this circuit hosted two F1 races in 1972 and 74. Both races were a smoking success for Emerson Fittipaldi in his championship-winning years. 72, he won with John Player Special Lotus, and in 74, with Marlboro McLaren. Nivelle Circuit then met the same fate as Ontario Motor Speedway, thanks to March of Time and the value of dollars and francs and euros. Next, 1959, German Grand Prix at Avos in Berlin. This was Germany's version of Bristol Water Speedway. Paper clip design circuit, but a very fast one. Winner Tony Brooks led an all-Ferrari podium. The other two drivers on the podium were cool dudes from California, Dan Gurney in second and Phil Hill third. F1 never raced at the circuit again. Now we come to Selkwag. The 1964 Austrian Grand Prix was actually the first Austrian Grand Prix and took place at this airfield circuit, and that was the only time it was held there, and it was won by Libyan-born Italian racer Lorenzo Bandini, driving for Signor Enzo Ferrari. Unfortunately, he lost his life in a fiery accident three years later in Monaco. Dan Gurney in a Brabham set the fastest lap, while another California driver, Richie Ginther, was third in his BRM. And sir, now we go to Sweden, Rally Sweden. Victory in this rally has given Ott Tanak from Estonia lead in the World Rally Championship. He drives for Mr. Farley, meaning he is a Ford driver. 
Formula E in Hyderabad, India, winner was Jean-Eric Wun, driving for Mr. Penske. J. Penske, that is, and of course, he's the son of Captain Roger. Now, sir, important action from Dubai, two series, very important series now, Formula Regional Middle East. Man of the moment in this series is Toto's new young gun, Italian Kimi Antonelli. He won one of the three races and leads the championship 185 points over Taylor Bernard in second 140 points. And Mr. Rogers, I totally expect Kami Antonelli to dominate the Formula region, Freca as they call it in Europe, but his real litmus test will come sooner or later when Toto puts him in European Formula 3 and say, let's see how good you really are. And if he chokes there, then we have a problem. Now, Formula 4 Middle East, they were also in Dubai um, racing uh, as a support series. Story over the past weekend was Taponen on top in all three races. We have a new flying fin, Tuka Taponen. He won all three races of the weekend, which has now placed him second in the championship with 176 points. Championship leader with 182 points is Australian James Wharton. He finished on the podium in all three races. American young driver Ugo Gochukwu is now joined third in the championship with 145 points. Now here is the shocker from the Dubai weekend. In race one, on the podium was, as Derek Daly would say, hold on to your hollyhocks, Bedower, Brando Bedower, Bambino of Luca. And finally, sir, we come to Musical Mondial. I am totally excited about the upcoming 1000 podcasts. What started out as a phone call from Mr. Rogers and quickly followed by another phone call from Mr. David Tapia. Back then, he was the executive producer of F1 Weekly Podcast. is now reaching an epic milestone of podcast number 1000, coming soon in July. Ironically, on the same weekend as the British Grand Prix at Silverstone, where our favorite show started back in 1950. None of this would be possible without the support of F1 Weekly Familia members, and quite a few have been with us from the beginning. We are thankful to everybody, and on this happy note, we invite Miss Donna Sever to the Palatial Studios to talk about what we all have for Formula One. Thank you for listening. Please enjoy. Bye-bye.